It's a wonderful privilege and delight that we enjoy to be Christians and to have some time to study God's Word as we gather together as a group of Christians. I think often about the Lord and the sermons that He preached. And I think about as the people gathered together and they gave the Lord their attention. And then you think about the apostles in Acts chapter 2 as they preached and the people listened intently. You and I listen not because this occasion has a different speaker, but because the message comes from God's Word, which is inspired, that is, it is from God, and that it is inspiring in the sense that it motivates us to be better people. And so for a few minutes this morning, let us take time to study 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And so if you'll open your Bibles there, we'll begin our study here in just a few moments. Whenever you prepare to study a passage of Scripture, sometimes it's valuable to orient your mind toward the events that are taking place and maybe to understand a little bit of the background. And so in order to prepare our minds to study 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to begin with a little bit of a discussion of privilege. There's a lot of discussion going on in our world today about people who have privilege. Those who maybe, for instance, have the privilege of person. They were born in a certain category of people, a class, if you will. Or maybe even a race. Or maybe even a national sense in which we have privilege. I remember a few years ago watching a video that was on the internet. And what the person did, they were going to have a race of a whole bunch of young people. And they said, we want everyone to line up on this line. And they did. And they said, but before we begin the race, we want everyone who has two parents to take one large step forward. And then he says, now of those of you who are there, if for those of you who were reared in home where there was a peaceful home, that mama wasn't beating daddy and uh, the children weren't being beaten regularly, we want you to take another step forward. And then for those of you who are here, he said, and you had parents who cared about your education. They read to you. They studied with you. They spent some time with you to try to prepare you. Now, I want you to take another large step forward. And then they said, for those of you who got up this morning and you were provided a breakfast that you could have that was nutritious, we want you to take another step forward. And by the time the person who had organizing the race had everyone step forward with various things that were in their life, some people were actually just one step from the finish line. The others were standing there at the start and they said, all right, now we're about ready to run the race. And obviously you recognize that some people were so close that they were going to win anyway. Others who were still at the starting line had so much to overcome just to be able to finish the race. But you see, privilege becomes a problem if we don't see it, if we don't appreciate it. And then some begin to abuse it. And I know that some of you are probably think, wow, you're getting political. Oh, no, this is not political. This is dealing with the biblical situation. I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Amos for just a moment. 
Amos prophesying during a period of time when the children of Israel were enjoying a tremendous amount of prosperity. And he describes by saying, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria. Well, how well were they doing? Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who cause the seed of violence to come near, who lie upon beds of ivory. Stretch out on your couches. Eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the salt. Who idling sing to the sound of stringed instruments. And invent for yourselves musical instruments like David. Who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourself with the best ointments. You see, everything that they enjoy is good, but then he says but not aggrieved for the affliction of Joseph. Yes, you have all this privilege. You have all this has been given to you, and you do not care for those who have not. Now, Israel was privileged. When you go back to Exodus chapter 19, God tells Israel you are privileged. He said, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God is saying to Israel, you can be special. You are special. In Romans chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, what advantage then has the Jew?" And then he says, much in every way, chiefly to them have been committed the oracles of God. Look what the Jewish people enjoyed as a form of privilege. Now let's take this a little bit further. Corinth was privileged. Not only were they privileged, you and I as Christians are privileged. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7, For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? God is trying to get the Corinthians to realize He has blessed them. He has given to them. But don't abuse that privilege. Appreciate it. Thank God for it. Use it. For the good of God's glory. That leads us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As you look at that, he's going to point back and say, let's draw some parallels. He's said, let's look at the history of the Exodus in verses 1 through 5. Then in verses 6 through 11, he's going to talk about history being an example for us that we can look at what they had and what they did and how God reacted to say, look at what we have, what God does, and how do we react to that. And then verses 12 and 13, history provides an encouragement, something to help us address the challenges, the difficulties, and literally to run the race that is set before us. Let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all 
passed through the sea. All were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Boy, what a wonderful thought that he's trying to implant in their minds. History often provides a precedent for the present. And you have to see the parallels. You know, our country is going through a very difficult time right now. There is the impeachment of our president in our country. And there are people saying, what did our framers say that we ought to do when we confront this type situation? And what has been done when these types of situations were addressed in the past? And so there's a lot of looking back and saying, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? And then should we not be doing that same today? History provides a precedent. It gives us something that we can look back to. Well, I want you to look at see what he says. He says they were all baptized. Wow, that's an interesting thought. People today accuse those of us in the Lord's church of preaching baptism, preaching baptism, preaching baptism. And people don't realize when you look back in history, there was a great baptism that took place in history. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, we all were baptized into one body. We all were baptized into one body. Everyone who is a member of the Lord's church became so because they were baptized. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added unto them of that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Yes, everyone was baptized we are baptized into Christ in water. Now, I emphasize those words into or unto and in because they're different words in the original language. We are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we've looked at that. What we are baptized in is the water. And you say, well, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When you put those together, Moses was their deliverer, delivering them from the bondage of Egypt and leading them to the promised land. For thus, Christ is our deliverer, leading us out of the bondage of sin and leading us toward our promised land, which is heaven see, baptism was that initial step that began the journey. 
When the children of Israel left that Egyptian bondage, they went to the Red Sea. There the Lord parted the waters. They went down into that. And those people were baptized unto Moses in the water and in the sea. Or in the cloud and in the sea. Their privilege was that they were all provided with food and drink. They all ate that same spiritual food. They all drank that same spiritual drink. But notice with that inclusive all, he comes back and he says, but with most, God was not pleased. Now folks, let's pause here just a minute. All enjoyed the privileges. All enjoyed the blessings. All had that privilege. But most of them didn't treat it right. Why? They did not believe and trust God. I want you to listen to the Hebrew writer in chapter 4 who addresses this same topic. He said, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest... Let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. God said there's a rest out there. And how many have that rest promised for them? All who want it. But it was just like the promised land that God provided for the children of Israel. And it was when you leave, there's the promise. And everyone who enjoys it can partake of it. But do you know what most of them did? Most of them didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They failed to see their privilege and they came to expect God to give things to them. They started seeing themselves as entitled. God owes this to me. Well, that's going to lead us into verses 6 through 11 where we're going to look at history as an example because now he's going to explain how you tie this together. Again, reading in verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat a drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit fornication as some of them did, and one day 23,000 fell. And let us not tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them were also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. On whom the end of the ages have come. Now the very first thing that you'll notice. He says. They became our examples. 
Every time when you and I go to the Bible and we read about the people of God and how God has instructed them what to do and how they responded and then God either punished or blessed them, that's an example for us. There's the value of the power of an example because it can be seen in real life. You think about how many times people go to school and the teacher in the classroom says, now you may confront this situation or that situation. Here is how you do this or how you do that. But it's only when they go out into the real world and they begin to practice that they begin to understand real life examples. That's the reason why internships are so great. Where people can go and actually do the work and work with someone else who's already doing that. So they can see how it's done in real life. But there's a precedent in examples. If you will, binding behavior. God expects us when we see certain examples to say, that's what they did, that's how they did it, and that's what God expects us to do. There are times when God said, don't do something, and the people did it, or God said, do something, and they didn't do it. That becomes a negative example. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Moses Follow the pattern. You were given an example. Here's how you do it. Follow that pattern. Follow that example. Okay, now let's look at them and see what he said. We're not to lust after the things that they lusted after. There are some things that are specific troublemaking problems in our lives. There's difficulties that you and I face in life. And what he's saying to the church at Corinth, look back to the children of Israel. Look at how they reacted. And so he's going to enumerate several things. Number one, don't become idolaters. And a person might say, well, how does a person become an idolater? You go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 32, and I want you to listen carefully as Moses describes what occurred while he was on the mountain getting the commandments. It says, when people saw that Moses delayed from the coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, come, make us gods that should go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said, break off your golden earrings, which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron. And so he received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Oh, and you know what happened? Those people in verse 6 sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. That's exactly what Paul's referring to. People in this life want someone to provide them direction. Moses was providing that direction when he was no longer visible to him. They said, we've got to have something visible. We've got to have someone who stands in front of us or something 
and they became idolaters. We as a people in our country today as a whole have begun to reject any idea that God is directing our lives. And we've made idols. And we listen to various people and say, well, what did they say we ought to do? And how are we going to follow them? Nor let us commit fornication, as some of them did. And talking about the falling of the 23,000, he has reference to the events that occurred in Numbers 25. Israel was ready to cross over into the Promised Land. They were in the Acacia Grove, right on the west or east side of the Jordan River. The area of Moab, there's an Acacia Grove there. And it says the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab and they invited the people to sacrifice to their gods. And so the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal Apior and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. You see, with the idolatry comes along the immorality. Can anyone deny that the country in which you and I live today is grossly immoral? When you are around a group of people, the language that is used, the dress that is worn, the practices, the behavior, how does that affect us in the church? Does fornication not become acceptable in some people's eyes as if, well, that's just normal, that's just okay. And then he said, some of them tempted Christ. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? When troubles and trials come, the question says, where's God? Why isn't he here fixing my problem? I've got a problem. He needs to come and fix it and fix it right now. We become so privileged and so entitled that we feel like that anytime I have any kind of difficulty, it's somebody else's responsibility to fix it. And we expect God to come and fix it. And thus began murmuring and complaining. In Numbers chapter 13, they sent out the spies to spy out the land. Chapter 14 reflects the reaction of the people. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If we'd only died in the land of Egypt, if we'd only died in the wilderness. Verse 36 now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. You start looking and you, you don't like what you're seeing. You don't like the difficulties and the challenges that are facing you. And so you just start murmuring and complaining and griping and saying, God, why have you put me in this situation? Now he said these things were written for our admonition in verse 11. Paul parallels that in Romans 15 and verse 4. 
For whatever things were written before time were written for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God expected us to take these verses and use them. Now, let's take verses 12 and 13 and we'll try to wrap all this up together. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now there's a warning here about becoming complacent. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We get to the point where we feel like there's actually nothing that we have to worry about. Just like the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea. Okay, promised land's ours. I don't have to worry anything about it. I don't have to worry about going through this wilderness. I don't have to worry about what temptations and trials I'm going to face. Micah 3 verse 11. He, her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. Her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. You can have preachers, you can have church members, you can have people doing anything and everything. And everybody said, well, it doesn't really matter. The Lord's going to take care of us all. It'll all be fine. Zephaniah 1 and verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who settled in their complacency, who say in the heart, the Lord will not do good nor will he do evil. There are people who don't believe that God is going to hold us accountable for the choices we make. And thus we become complacent and we get where we don't really even think about it. Well, the Lord's just going to take care of me. doesn't matter what I say. doesn't matter what I do. That's what Israel had become. That was what Paul was fearful the church at Corinth was going to become. But there's always a right way to respond to a difficult and a challenging temptation. Always a right way to do it. Because God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to resist. God will also make a way of escape that we can be able to endure it, to bear it. So what that means is every situation I confront... Every one of them, there's something right to do. And there's a right way to go. And you've got to resist the the challenges to go the wrong direction. And God's going to give you the ability. He's going to limit the temptation. The devil cannot tempt you beyond your ability to resist. God knows every one of us is breaking points and the devil can't push you too far. Number two, God will make a way of escape. Sometimes the choices may be difficult, but there's a way of escape. Now, let's put all of this together. The history of Israel provided a needed lesson for the church at Corinth. 
the history of the children of Israel provides a needed lesson for the church at Bobby Branch. What you and I learn from this little short section in this chapter is telling us you need to look and challenge yourself of how you're going to respond to the difficulties of life. Are you going to give in to them like the children of Israel did? Or are you going to stand true and faithful and strong as God would have you to do? There's a lot of people today who mock the idea of the Bible. Here's a book 2,000 plus years old. Here's a book written by people of a different culture at a different time. And people would say the Bible is irrelevant. It doesn't have a message for our generation today. It is relevant. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's no new thing under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. God has blessed us. We have access to His Word like no generation before us. Even in the first century, the message that it was contained in the prophets did not provide for them the full spectrum that you and I enjoy because we've got all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation and we can access it at any time. We can search it. We can look it up. We've got techniques and abilities in our age that makes it easy. But yet we have allowed ourselves to somehow become complacent. And we're not putting the time studying in to see what has been done is what is being done. And God's reaction depends upon how you and I are living our lives. And I ask the question, are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? We've already seen that they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. If you want to be a Christian this morning, because of your faith in Christ Jesus, because you're willing to repent of your sins, you confess your faith in Him, and then you be baptized, and the Lord will add you to His church, to His body. Now you get in the Lord, and now what are you going to do? Are you going to be a Joshua? Are you going to be a Caleb? Who says, whatever the Lord has told us, that's what we're going to do. Are you going to be like a Korah, Dathan, and Abiram that says, we want to do what we want to do? That's your choice. But it will determine whether or not you make it to the promised land. We're going to sing the song, Soul, a Savior, Thou Art Needing. If you need to respond to God's call, would you come as together we stand and sing?